Thank you, Em. I might need to sit down at some stage, so. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll show you the purpose of this in just a moment. I'm Ben. I'm the community pastor here. If I haven't met you before, it's uh, just a pleasure to be here with you. And to be able to open up God's Word with you is just so special. Uh, we'll be opening up Psalm chapter 27 today, if you want to open up there in your Bibles. And I'll be using the English Standard Version this morning. We're usually in the NIV, but you'll have to forgive me, I'm using the ESV this morning. I was once sitting in a chair just like this. Uh, I was between three and five years old, probably junior kids' church age. In a church similar to this, I was out in a kids' program during the Sunday service. And I was sitting there, and I was enjoying my veggie tales in peace. But I had seen earlier this boy walk in. I knew that he was bigger than us. He was older. He was kind of scary. He was a bit of a, bit of a rough nut, this kid. And he was meant to be in the, in the other program. I don't know why the leaders let him be in there, but he was in my program. Anyway, I kept to myself and watching my veggie tales. And as I was sitting there watching, uh, at some stage, I just felt something rest on top of my head. And I looked behind me, and this bully, this kid had sat back, put his hands behind his head, and was using my head as a footrest for himself as he watched the TV. Now, me being kind of polite and naive as a kid, I thought, oh, maybe he just doesn't understand. That's a bit rude. So I turned around to him and I said, uh, excuse me, um, could you please take your feet off my head? Very politely. He took his feet off and I kept watching VeggieTales and lo and behold, a few seconds later, the feet were back there again, and I thought, what was going on? So I turned around, I said, excuse me, can you please take your feet off my head? Took the feet off, continued watching my veggie tales, and a third time, I just felt these two things flop in my head. I'm a little bit of a germ freak as well, so this is really getting to me now. Something shifted in my spirit, and I don't think it was the Holy Spirit. And I turned around, and I got up, and I picked up the chair before WWE Wrestling was around, and I went and broke it on this kid. I hope I can still be your pastor. Uh, the Bible says God came to save sinners, so it's a trustworthy saying. But I was a lot smaller. I look like a big man... Well, I think that, but I look like a man, that looks very aggressive right now, but I was very tiny, so I just sort of bounced off him, and he got up and thumped me in the arm a few times, and I went off crying. So it wasn't really a David and Goliath story, Goliath won that one. Now that is what you shouldn't do in a situation like that. Normally I was quite a timid kid, a bit of a rule follower, but somehow I got the courage to face this kid I was normally scared of, and the way I got courage for this situation was by getting angry, by getting into a rage. I'll move this out of sight now so we can continue focusing. And we have to deal with difficult situations in life, don't we? Crises, difficult people, family breakdowns, financial issues, we need courage. And there are really two ways we can deal with these crises apart from God. The first is by getting angry, by doing what I did when I was a kid. When it comes to relational conflict, we sometimes call this person the rhino, who just wants to run in and deal with it, but they usually cause destruction as they do it. The other option is to just 
forsake courage, to run away from it, to put it under the rug, to be an escapist, to ignore it. And in relationships, we call this person the hedgehog, who goes and hides in the corner and puts their spikes up and doesn't really get the courage they need to deal with it, they just ignore it. But when it comes to the crises of life, we need better solutions than that. The rhino causes destruction in their wake. The hedgehog doesn't deal with the issue. So how can we get the courage we need to deal with difficult issues, difficult people, and crises that we face? Well, this is why we're looking at Psalm 27 today, because God offers us a better way to find courage to deal with the issues and crises of life. In Psalm 27, you'll notice at the beginning of the psalm, it says, of David. This is King David. This is the one who slew Goliath. And in Psalm 27, King David shows us how he faces a crisis with courage. We don't know exactly what the situation is in his life at the time he wrote it, but he was going through something terrifying. He speaks about cruel people who want to consume him, adversaries and foes, war breaking out against him, his father and mother forsaking him, people lying about him, slandering him and threatening him. David was going through a full-blown crisis when he wrote this psalm, and it threatened to put Israel's king into the fetal position, crippling him with fear, filling him with dread. But instead of working himself into a rage to fight back the fear or escaping it all and ignoring the problem, David shows us how to find the kind of courage that can withstand the most dire crises in life. That's something we all need, don't we? We all need courage. Whether you're a Christian here or not, we need courage. So let's take a look at the psalm and see where he found the answer. And in this psalm, Psalm 27, there are four things that David models for us as we look for courage to deal with life's crises. The first is this, he declares who God is. David declares who God is. Look at verses 1 to 3 with me for a moment. Let me read them to you. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David starts by declaring who God is. He says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light in the darkness. He says, the Lord is my salvation, my rescuer, my savior, my hero. And he says, the Lord is my stronghold. He's like a fortress I can retreat into and I can close the door and lock it and I can find courage in that place and I can look out at my enemies with confidence. David starts by declaring who God is. And this teaches us something important. When we're dealing with crises, when we're dealing with fears in life, we don't start by looking inside. We don't start by looking at the crisis and freaking ourselves out more. We don't start with the earthly perspective. We start with heaven's perspective. We start by declaring who God is in the face of that. We start by searching God's word for the truth of who he is. 
that's where David begins. He declares who God is to get the right perspective on this crisis. And it helps to give him confidence and courage. He's not necessarily saying these things here because he feels, he emotionally feels strong or courageous. The reason I can say that is because later in the psalm, he gets really raw. He gets real with God and he looks like he's torn up about this. This is difficult. So it's not necessarily that he's emotionally just stronger than us. It's that he's starting with heaven's perspective. He starts by declaring who God is in the face of his fears, in the face of this crisis. So that's the first thing that this psalm teaches us when we're dealing with crises, when we need courage, we declare who God is. We start with the truth of who God is first. The second thing David shows us is what to seek. He shows us what we should seek after when we're going through a crisis. What we're really seeking after usually depends upon our circumstances. The thing we are searching for is usually based on our circumstances. What do I mean? Well, if you're sick, if you're going through health issues, probably the one thing you're seeking after, the one thing you're longing for is health. You want to get better. If you're lonely or you're looking for a husband or a wife, you want to get married, probably the one thing you're looking for is a companion. That's the thing you're seeking after based on our circumstances. If your family's going through a crisis and there's conflict, you're probably wanting to look for peace. You probably just want there to be peace. But David doesn't search for solutions in that way. Because if you're sick and you get better, you will eventually find that your body does break down and death will come knocking at your door one day. If you find the dream partner, you may have other issues to deal with, financial crises or Perhaps you want kids, but you struggle to have kids. What, all sorts of things that life can throw at you. If the family gets back together, it just takes one person to mess it all up again. Looking for the immediate solution isn't necessarily what we should seek after. And that's not what David seeks after. He doesn't ask God to take his problems away. He goes after a solution so deep and so wide that it will be enough for him for every single circumstance and crisis he will ever face. Let's look at what he's seeking after in verse 4. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. All David wants to do is to go to the house of the Lord, which was the temple or the tabernacle back then. In the Old Testament, this was the place where God's presence resided in a special way. So David is saying he wants to be in God's presence, and he says he wants to be there because he wants to stare at God's beauty. He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Why? Why the beauty of God? Why the presence of God? Well, he says in verse 5, he explains himself. He says, for because he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Now, at first glance, this looks a little bit like the hedgehog sort of escapist strategy. David's going through a terrible crisis, and so he runs away to the temple to God's presence to just stare at his beauty all day long. That's what it sounds like at first glance. 
but that's not true. David is showing us how to find the courage we need to deal with the crisis. In fact, as he states his desire to see God, he says that he will not avoid his enemies. He says that he'll overcome them. Verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. He's not there to avoid his enemies. He believes that through God, he will overcome his enemies. He doesn't just go to the temple to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, but it says, and to inquire in his temple. He wants to ask God for wisdom. He needs guidance in this situation. God is his salvation. God is the one who gets all the glory. God is the one who gives him the strength that he needs. But God is the one who will guide him and give him what he needs to deal with this as a human being. This isn't escapism. David's not running to the beauty of God because he wants to forget about his troubles. David is running to the beauty of God because it is the answer to his troubles. It is the thing that will give him courage. It is the place where he will feel safe and find security and gain strength to face this crisis. But still, it begs the question, why does David run to God's beauty? I mean, when I think about it, wouldn't David run to God's strength and power? Wouldn't that make him feel strong and give him courage? Or, or wouldn't David run to God's sovereignty and wisdom and intelligence, his ability to undermine any plans of evil? Why does he run to the beauty of God? Why does he think this is the solution? Well, it helps actually understanding what that word beauty means. Originally, this psalm was written in Hebrew. And that Hebrew word sometimes translates as beauty, but usually its main meaning is kindness or grace. Kindness and grace. David wants to, to gaze at the grace and the kindness of God. So David is telling us he wants to meditate on that. That's what he wants to do in the temple. Be in God's presence, seek him, meditate on his kindness, his mercy, his grace. This is the beauty David wanted to look at. And this teaches us something about where godly courage comes from. Godly courage doesn't come from looking inside yourself. Godly courage doesn't come from bravado, stiffening your upper lip, clenching your teeth. It doesn't come from gathering people around you who have the same view as you, other human beings to support you. It doesn't come from getting angry like when I was a kid, getting into a rage. Godly courage comes in God's presence, meditating on his kindness, on his overflowing mercy. And I think the reason is because David understands that this is the creator, this is the sovereign God, this is the all-powerful one who can do all things. But he needed to be convinced, not simply that God was powerful, he needed to be convinced that God was for him. He needed to be convinced of his kindness. He needed to be convinced of his mercy and his grace. He needed to understand that this great God is interested in him and cares about him, will listen to his cries, is for him in his suffering. So he goes to the temple to stare at God's beauty, his grace, his kindness. If you want true God-given courage, David shows you what to seek after. He doesn't ask for his problems to go away. He seeks the presence of God. He wants to know God more deeply. And that's kind of striking, isn't it? I guess to put it in the reverse, if we are facing a crisis, obviously we're going to find it difficult. David was crying out in the psalm, we'll see. 
But if it is totally crippling us, totally taking us out, and we're running away from it, or we're not dealing with it, or, or whatnot, it might be a sign that we have a knowledge of God problem. Because David wants to seek after God. He wants to know God more deeply. If we're totally crippled and taken out by difficulties in life, it might be a sign that we have a knowledge of God problem. We don't know His grace deeply enough. We don't know His kindness deeply enough. We don't know how for He is for us enough. David said at the beginning, He's my light, He's my, he's my salvation, He's my stronghold. And then he went to the temple to, to, to realize that this God is merciful and kind and for Him. We need to know that. When you know the holy, all-powerful, eternal creator cares for you, is full of kindness and mercy and steadfast love, it makes you feel safer than anything else on this earth. It gives you courage to face life's crises. So let me just ask you, how are you going in this area? Do you have courage? Are you dealing with the things that you know you should be dealing with? Are you having a conversation with someone that you know you need to have a conversation with? Do you have courage? Because David shows us what to seek after. He shows us what to seek after, to seek God, to stare at his kindness. But you might be thinking, well, how does that work, staring at God, seeking, what does it look like? Well, we got a great example last week when Adam preached in that story about Mary and Martha. Martha was busily serving Jesus, but Mary put everything else aside and sat down at his feet and listened to Jesus. She spent time at his feet listening to Jesus. For us, that might look like sitting down and just listening to God's word, just reading it. Spending time in prayer, listening to his voice, communing with him. Mary is a great example. But <clears throat> David also gives us an example in the third movement of the psalm. Sorry, just a moment. David shows us what we are to seek after, but in the third section, David shows us how to seek, what it looks like to seek God. He shows us how to seek. <coughs> Sorry. When I, talk, I didn't realize when you talk a lot, then uh, the croaks come back out and... I was sick about a week ago. I'm not sick anymore. <clears throat> All right, I'll keep this point short. In these verses, David starts speaking directly to God. And the whole tone really shifts in the psalm at this point. So at the beginning, David's confident, it seems. And he's kind of declaring the truth. He's speaking to us, or he's just making a declaration. But as we get to verse 7, David starts speaking directly to God. He starts praying, and the whole tone of the psalm changes. He, he gets raw, he gets real, he gets vulnerable, he brings his real self to God. So I'm just going to read these verses, I just want to, you to see and feel what he's going through. Verses 7 to 12, David says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. 
For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Thanks, Aiden. Thanks, guys. You see, when David says those words, he's not all hunky-dory. His heart is wobbling under the pressure. And so he comes before God just as he is. He's not putting on a show. He doesn't have special formulas or phrases he has to say. He's just coming before God. He's getting raw, and he's just telling him what's going on. He's pouring out his heart. He's telling him what he fears. He says, God, I don't want your face to turn away from me. Don't turn me away in anger. So when you're feeling anxious or when you're feeling afraid and facing a crisis, this psalm teaches us to start with heaven's perspective. Declare the truth. Declare who God is in the face of the crisis. Then it teaches us to plan to seek after God, to plan to get into His presence. And when we spend enough time in His presence that we're convinced of His kindness, that He is for us, that this God is more than willing to listen to our prayers, then we pray. Then we bring our requests to Him. We tell Him how we really feel. We tell Him what's going on and what we're facing, and we ask Him for help. That's what David models for us in the third section of the psalm. He shows us how to seek. And in the last movement on the psalm, David stops modeling lessons for us now, and he speaks to us directly. And he tells us to patiently persevere. He tells us to patiently persevere. He's let us look into his life. He's been real in this psalm. And now he speaks to us, God's people. And he makes one last declaration of confidence. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then as the king of Israel, he gives this command to God's people. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, when we think about it, David isn't our king. And we're not Old Testament Israel. David's died, he's in glory now with God. So does that mean that his advice doesn't apply to us? Is this psalm just for Israel and for David to put into practice? Well, David was a type and a figure who points us to Jesus. Remember when Jesus was on the road with the two disciples to Emmaus? He took them through the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and he showed them how all of it pointed to him, how it was all fulfilled in him. David was a type and a figure and a shadow of the true king to come. This is one of the reasons why the New Testament makes such a big deal of Jesus being a descendant of David. David foreshadows God's ultimate eternal king, our king, Jesus. So this psalm may have been written by David, but its longings and words and the whole psalm itself finds its fullest meaning in King Jesus. So in this final command, we should hear these words as if Jesus is saying them to us as his people. In fact, we should see Jesus fulfilling the whole psalm. So when David starts off at the beginning really confidently, we, we can see that's, that's a lot like how Jesus was in his ministry, confidently entrusting himself to the Father. He talked about obeying the Father's will, being with the Father. He lived to please his Father. He trusted the Father through sufferings. We don't see Jesus seeking out the temple like David did or wanted to all the time. 
Jesus didn't go to the physical temple because Jesus said, I am the temple. Jesus was the true temple. Jesus was the meeting place of God's presence on earth. Jesus had the presence of God inside him. He was with God. He was in God all the days of his life until that fateful day when he went to the cross. And verse 9 of our psalm describes not just David's greatest fear, but Jesus' greatest fear, where it says, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. You see, David's greatest fear in those words became Jesus' dark reality at the cross. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was feeling crushed? It was the night before his death, and he was feeling crushed by the thought of facing his father's wrath. He prayed in Matthew 26, My father, if it be possible, let this cup, this cup of wrath, pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's as if Jesus is saying, and in the words of Psalm 27, My Father, if it's possible, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus' request in prayer was denied at the cross. Because God hid his face from Jesus. Jesus cried out the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, of course, from the divine point of view, Jesus knew why he was there. But from the human point of view, this was just so excruciating that it was bewildering. Where are you, God? Jesus was turned away in anger. Not because Jesus did anything to deserve it, but because he chose to represent us who deserve it. Who deserve to be cut off from God's blessing and goodness and presence. He bore our sin and evil in his body. He went through the judgment we deserve. Jesus was cast off. Jesus was forsaken. This is what Jesus did for his people. He's better than any king we could ever ask for because this king got off his throne and took the lowest place. He took the place of utter shame and God-forsakenness. And he did that because he loves you, church. He did that because he loves you. David could go to the temple and experience a measure of God and meditate on God's kindness and some of the things he did in the past. But we go to Jesus, the true temple, the God-man, and we get to see the kindness of God in all of its fullness at the cross. When we look at the cross, we see just the kindness of God to people like us, what he was willing to go through to save us from the judgment we deserve, to save us from death, to save us from the condemnation of Satan. Jesus went to the cross because he loves you. So when you're in a crisis and fear and anxiety are starting to strangle you and suffocate you, you can patiently persevere because the one who went to the cross has revealed God's kindness to you like never before and you can trust him. Jesus says to us, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 
He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He is not indifferent to you. He is kind. He's the one who gave up his own son for your sake at the cross. Be strong. Patiently persevere. So how do we find courage in crisis? Well, this psalm shows us to declare who God is. It shows us what to seek, how to seek, and it tells us to patiently persevere. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Courage in every single crisis of life comes from Christ, our King. He is an eternal source of courage. He's not a a one-off fix for this problem situation. He is the fix for every situation. He is the source of courage for every crisis we face. So let me end with this command from 1 Corinthians 16. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Jesus enables you to. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you and we thank you that through through Christ we call you our Father. We thank you that you demonstrated your love for us at the cross while we were yet sinners and outsiders and even enemies of yours, Lord. You demonstrated your love for us. Lord, help us to receive your love. Help us to gaze upon your beauty and your kindness in a way that David was never able to because we have Jesus. Jesus, we just pray that you'd Give us that experiential life with you, that as your people, we would regularly get before you, spend time in your word, commune with you in prayer, and get to know your heart, because that is where we find courage. It's not in ourselves, it's in the kindness of our King, it's in the kindness of our Creator God. So Lord, help us, open our eyes, open our ears. Help us to believe that you are gracious. Father, we're just so hardwired to think that you are harsh and that you are judgmental. But Lord, help us again to go back to the cross, to go back to the good news of Jesus and see your heart in all its fullness, full of kindness, full of grace for sinners who come to him. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for giving us Jesus. Help us to be strong and courageous as witnesses, as your people, for the sake of your name, and so that more people might find life in Jesus through our church and our ministry and our lives. We ask this in his name. Amen.